From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. And we welcome you again to Open Line Tuesday here on EWTN Radio. Uh, Jack Williams away today. Our favorite itinerant priest, Father Wade Menezes of the Fathers of Mercy, is with us. And I think we can I think we can cue Willie Nelson here because you are on the road again. Am I right, Father? <laughs> That's right, Tom. First of all, thanks for pitch hitting today for Jack. And it's on the very day that I am in his and Johnette's beloved Florida. Go figure that one out. Wow. Huh? wow. He, he ditches me when I'm in Florida, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm so happy that you're pitch hitting for him. So thank you for that. Yes, I am at St. Thomas Aquinas Parish here in the beautiful town of Newport Ritchie, Florida. Okay. And so I want to give a shout out to our pastor, Father Eric Peters, our associate pastor, Father George Varkey, and two staff members that have been a tremendous help uh, to me, Sherilyn, our staff coordinator here at the parish, and Liz, our head sacristan. We opened up last night on Monday for the opening night of the parish mission, Tom, uh, with 300 people. Wow. And that says a lot about the great publicity that the parish mission has received. And so I thank all four of those individuals and all other staff members working behind the scenes and all those who came out last night. I'm given my series this week titled The Most Holy Eucharist Gift and Sacrament, which is in response to our bishop's call for a three-year Eucharistic revival to rekindle our, our love and devotion towards the doctrine and reality of Christ's real presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So it's a great, great to be here. It's a great parish, and uh, I'm looking forward to the next three nights of the parish mission. Well, we are delighted to have you with us today, and uh, wow, let me give you the phone numbers because I think things are going to heat up uh, because of uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Here's that number, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Outside North America, dial 1, and then 205 271 2985. You can always send us an email. The address for that, openline at EWTN.com. And uh, Father Wade, we have a uh, we have a double whammy today. This is uh, not only the liturgical season of Advent that we are well underway in, but also today uh, as we celebrate the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, right? That's right, the patroness of the Americas, yeah. North, South, and Central America. So I want to talk a little bit about her after I talk about the primary springboard topic, which is Advent, the liturgical season of Advent, as just a general definition to our listeners today. And then I want to encourage them to call us in, uh, call in today on the show, Tom, and tell us about any uh, family Advent traditions they have out there. Maybe they have the Advent calendar or the Advent wreath in the home or the homes decorated for Advent, especially those Catholic homeschooling families out there, which do a great job uh, living the liturgical year in the domestic church, the Domestica Ecclesia. And so I'm looking for callers today to show us what family traditions you have for Advent or how Our Lady of Guadalupe has uh, fed your life in devotion. Maybe you have a particular devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe. But first, Advent, you know, Tom, God has a sense of humor. I think it was Minnie Pearl of, of the Grand Ole Opry fame. She used to say, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> uh, you know, so I didn't know where the parish was going to put me this week, wherever there was an Ethernet port for the, for the Comrex machine to broadcast live with you all there in Birmingham there in Irondale, and, uh, and a good, uh, strong Wi-Fi feed for Skype, you know, for the visual of the show. And lo and behold, 
they put me in the fourth grade CCD classroom <laughs> with what behind me on the wall right here that I'm pointing to? The advent calendar. Now, wow. how great is that? You perfect, know? perfect. Now, I, I got I to admit, though, I, I, I'm kind of happy the fourth graders aren't in here because I don't know if anybody would be able to hear me if the fourth graders were in here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a quiet fourth grade CCD classroom. But advent comes from the Latin word meaning coming, huh? that is advenio, to come, right? In general, the word Advent regards the coming or arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Well, Jesus is coming, right? And Advent is intended to be a season of preparation for his arrival. While we typically regard Advent as a joyous season, it is also intended to be a period of preparation, much like Lent. Prayer, penance, and fasting are appropriate during this season of Advent, but whereas Lent is more about penance, strictly speaking, and reconciliation, strictly speaking, Advent is more about a quiet, reflective, and sober awakening in anticipation, in anticipation of the comings of Christ, uh, an alertness, if you will, to the reality of the doctrines of Christ's two comings, his second coming at the end of time, what we call the general judgment, and his first coming as, as a babe in a manger in Bethlehem, actually before that in the womb of a woman, right? Uh, our, our redemption, our salvation began in the womb of a woman. And mm. I mean that literally, not metaphorically. Huh? How beautiful is that? While Advent is not as strict as Lent, and there are no liturgical guidelines for fasting per se during Advent from the church, it is meant to be a period of self-preparation and self-examination. For example, the violet color associated with Advent is also the same color for penance that is used liturgically as well during Lent. The faithful can fast during the first two weeks in particular and receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation in preparation for the celebration of Christmas. Now, they can receive reconciliation in preparation for their Christmas attendance at Mass, which is a holy day of obligation, and their communion anytime during Advent, but the first two weeks especially are important for that. Why? Because the color of the third Sunday of Advent, thus the third week of Advent, is not violet, penitential violet, but joyous rose, huh? We call the third Sunday of Advent, Tom, Gaudete Sunday, which means rejoice in Latin. Uh, the color symbolizes joy and represents the happiness we will experience when Jesus comes again. This third Sunday of Advent, then, is a day of anticipatory celebration, as is its week which follows. Why? Because we're getting closer to Christmas, right? Finally, Sundays during Advent, just as the Sundays during Lent, should not be given to fasting, but instead to celebration, because we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord every Sunday. Amen to that. Yes. It is important to remember, however, that there are no particular liturgical rules for how the laity should observe Advent, as again, uh, it is not as liturgically strict as Lent. So Advent, again, is, is about a sober, awakening, quiet, reflective, devout, joyful expectation and anticipation of the two comings of Christ. A couple of quotes here on Advent uh, from the, the Church's liturgical year and calendar number, th number 39 from the general norms of 1969, right after Vatican II closed in 65. We read these great words, Advent has a twofold character as a season to prepare us for Christmas when Christ's first coming to us is remembered, and as a season when that remembrance directs the mind and heart to await Christ's second coming at the end of time. Mm. Advent is thus a period for devout and joyful expectation. You know, St. Augustine says this, he says, let us not forget Christ's first coming precisely so that we do not regret his second coming. 
spoken just like a church father, giving us volumes of doctrine in one short, pithy sentence. Huh? Again, St. Augustine, the great father of the church, he says, let us not forget Christ's first coming precisely so that we do not regret his second coming. And St. Charles Borromeo, the, the 16th century bishop, right after the Council of Trent closed, he says this, Beloved, now is the acceptable time, quoting 2 Corinthians 6.2, now is the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation, spoken of by the Holy Spirit in Scripture, the day of salvation, of peace and reconciliation. This is the great season of Advent, quote, Beautiful. end quote. What a, what a great quote that kind of sums up the whole season. Yes. And Sister Mary Euphrasia, regarding the liturgical season of Advent, she says this, let us not allow this holy season of Advent to slip by without spiritual fruit. No, it is the time of salvation, so let us profit from it. Uh, it reminds me of Ephesians 5.16, where we read, Tom, make the most of your present opportunity, for these are evil days. Huh? Mm, yeah. The modern-day culture has so many elements of the culture of death. And again, Sister St. Mary Euphrasia, she says, let us not allow this holy season of Advent to slip by without spiritual fruit. It is the time of salvation. Let us then profit from it. Now, keep in mind, Sister Mary Euphrasia was a French Roman Catholic nun, best known as the founders of the Congregation of Our Lady of Charity of the Good Shepherd. She was born on an island off the coast of France where her parents had been exiled by the French revolutionaries due to their faithfulness to their Catholic faith during the French Revolution. So although she didn't see the horrors per se up hand up close to the French Revolution, she was born during it while her parents were exiled to an island. So uh, she knows about the, the, the horror of how a modern day culture can be so anti-Christian, uh, anti-Catholic, uh, pro-culture of death, and the like. So we look to these great saints and what they told us about Advent. And like St. Charles Borromeo, she's telling us that this is the day of salvation. This is the time of, of the acceptable time. This is the day of salvation. Again, uh, quoting Ephesians 5.16, just like St. Charles Borromeo, again, beloved, now is the acceptable time spoken of by the Holy Spirit, the day of salvation, of peace and reconciliation. This is the great season of Advent. And then I want to close just before we break now with yes. Mother Angelica's great quote on Advent, Tom. She says, most of all, we long to be like Jesus. We want to be united to him as one, that he and I are one in will and in love. We long for that. Advent brings out this longing that we have in us. My soul longs for the Lord like a deer for a running stream. So now these last few days we have of Advent, just don't squander them. Enter into them and make the best of Advent. Mother Angela. Wow, that is fantastic. We can talk more about Advent, we can talk more about Our Lady of Guadalupe, and we can take your calls at 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. It's a Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. Do stay with us. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. A blessed Advent to you. It is Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes here on EWTN going to get to the phones in just a few moments here at 833-288-EWTN. That's 
888-288-3986. We'll kick it off with uh, David in Canada in just a few minutes. I know you had something else to say there about our, our dear founder's mother, Angelica. Yeah, I wanted to finish up this, this great quote that she gives us about Advent. She continues, she says, uh, Tom, you don't have to be in the chapel praying all the time during Advent. After all, you have a lot of work to do. But it's that constant pondering mind that's important about the coming of Jesus. The hands can work, the hands can cook, the hands can sew, the hands can clean, the hands can decorate, true enough. But it's the mind, it's the inner part of my soul, the inner part of my heart that has to be reaching out to God and say, Mm. come to me, Jesus, come to me now this Christmas. Let me live through that wondrous night. Ponder the mystery of it all. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wow. Now, she's writing that quote, no doubt, to her fellow nuns, okay, those that she's instructing. But that applies to each one of us. Me as an itinerant traveling preacher, you, Tom, as a family man, husband and father, full-time man there at, at uh, EWTN Radio, um, the farmer, the doctor, the lawyer, the retired grandparent, the working grandparent. Advent calls us to this constant pondering of the two comings of Christ, and that's what's important. So I, again, I want to urge our live listeners this hour, call us, tell us what Advent means to you. Maybe you don't have a particular tradition, but it's just strong in your heart about Advent. Get us, give us a call and give a witness about Advent. How do you prepare for Advent? Do you go to confession? Do you make it sure that, it, that it's one of those confessional times of the year for you? Yeah. Uh, give us a call. Give a witness about this beautiful liturgical season. 833-288-EWTN is that number. I'd love to talk with you this afternoon. 833-288-3986. Father, right here smack dab in the middle of Advent, we find uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. It is today that we celebrate that feast. And isn't that great, Tom, because she's the only image of an approved Marian apparition that shows our Blessed Mother pregnant with child. Yes. Again, the only approved apparition, the depiction of which, okay, on her tilma, shows her pregnant with child. How beautiful is that? Right here in the approaching the middle of Advent as we prepare for uh, Christ's first coming as a babe in a manger in, in Bethlehem and await uh, with great alertness and sobriety, with, with living eternity-minded individually, each one of us, for his second coming. Listen to this. Our Lady of Guadalupe, she's the patroness, again, of the Americas. North and South America, yes, but let us not forget of Central America as well. Mm-hmm. That's very important. Mm-hmm. On December 9th, 1531, Juan Diego, an Aztec Indian, encountered a beautiful young woman near Mexico City. Speaking in the native dialect, she revealed herself as, quote, Holy Mary, Mother of the True God, for whom we live, end quote and requested that a chapel be built after, after her honor. After the local bishop refused to believe Juan Diego, the virgin herself arranged roses in Juan's rough cloak called a tilma. When Juan opened his cloak before the bishop and the miraculous image of her appeared on the tilma, all were amazed. Numerous volunteers constructed Mary's chapel in less than two weeks after this. And in seven years, Tom, Eight million native people were converted to the true faith. Wow. Pope St. John Paul II called the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe the Marian heart of America. Mm. In Tepeyac, the mother of God, the Ark of the New Covenant, who is Christ, reveals the beauty of the redeeming Christ in the beauty of lowly humanity. Appearing to a humble Aztec man as a pregnant Aztec maiden, rather than to one of the conquering Spaniards, let's say, she echoed the message of the sacred incarnation. 
Christ took on our lonely, mortal flesh as a, as a poor baby in Bethlehem to transform us according to God's mercy. This reminds me of Revelations 12, verses 1 and 2. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars, and she was with child. Wow. Uh, in the miraculous image of Our Lady of Guadalupe on Juan Diego's tilma, the moon is at her feet, there are stars on her image, and she is with child. How beautiful is that, right? Yes. And I want to close with this. It has to do with the 1999 visit of St. John Paul II, now saint, to the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. Listen to this. While visiting the shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City in 1999, now St. John Paul II said these words, quote, Now is the time of the new evangelization to lead the people of God in America to cross the threshold of the third millennium with renewed hope. He entrusted, in other words, Tom, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe as the star of the new evangelization, the future path of the church on the great continent of the Americas. Mm. John Paul II looked at an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe and said, quote, Our Lady is brilliantly seen in the mestizo countenance of this image of Mary of Guadalupe, who appeared at the beginning of the evangelization of the Americas. He continued, now Our Lady accompanies each one of her daughters and sons with her motherly presence. I asked her to visit as a pilgrim of faith each and every diocese, parish, and family in America. This is because, Tom, a, a very, very large frame image of Our Lady of Guadalupe, a, a replica of the tilma, was making its rounds to South America, Central America, and North America. Uh -huh. During his visit to the Basilica in Mexico City, John Paul II also said these words, quote, May the continent of hope also be the continent of life. This is now our cry, life with dignity for all. The time has come to banish once and for all from the continent every attack against human life. Holy Virgin of Guadalupe, Queen of Peace, save the nations and the peoples of this continent. Lead us to your divine Son. Uh, St. John Paul II was in Mexico from January 22nd to the 26th, 1999. It was his fourth visit to that country, Tom. It was also the occasion for the closing of the Special Assembly for America of the Synod of Bishops and the signing of the post-synodal uh, exhortation, Ecclesia in America, which translates in the English, the Church in America. So there you have it. She's an image of life, Tom. The only approved apparition, the image or depiction of which shows Our Lady with child by mm. the belt around her, her, um, her waist. Yeah. And, and I close with this. Juan was 55 years old. Juan Diego was 55 when he met the Blessed Virgin Mary on the morning of December 9th, 1531, as he hurried to Mass near Mexico City. Our Lady told him that she wished to have a church built and to be acknowledged as the mother of the one true God. After the local bishop deflected the Virgin's requests, one brought miraculous Castilian roses in his rough cloak as a sign to the bishop. Unfurling his cloak, also known as a tilma, one revealed not only the midwinter roses that were miraculously there at the top of the hill of Tepeyac, but also a miraculous image of the Virgin on the tilma, wearing a black maternity belt around her waist and bearing the jasmine flower over her womb. The Aztec symbolism clearly showed Mary's unborn child to be the divine center of the cosmos, which the gods of which that the Aztecs believed in did human sacrifice to. Okay, and they even sacrificed babies. So our, our one true God in his sacred incarnation, the womb of the mother, came 
to say this is not the way to worship God by offering human sacrifice of babies and adults. No, I am the one true God. And she revealed herself as the mother of the one true God to Juan Diego. How powerful is that? Yes, Again, unfurling his cloak, also known as a tilma, Juan Diego revealed not only the midwinter miraculous roses that fell from the tilma, but also a miraculous image of the Virgin on the tilma wearing a black maternity belt and bearing the jasmine flower over her womb. This Aztec symbolism clearly showed Mary's unborn child to be the divine center and the one true God of the cosmos, the very cosmos that the Aztecs priorly offered human sacrifice to the gods that they believed ran the cosmos. Christ came to save all, Tom. And in 1999, as I just quoted, John Paul II declared Our Lady of Guadalupe the patroness of the unborn and likewise the patroness of the Americas that is North, South, and Central America. How powerful is this? This is great. So give us a call. Tell us what Our Lady of Guadalupe means to you, what, it, what she means for you. Call us and tell us what this liturgical season of Advent means to you, what it means for you, what are some of your family Advent traditions or personal traditions that you might carry out. Uh, how do you bring this season of Advent into your home? Do you have a particular devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe? Give us a call here this hour at Open Line Tuesday. All right, and that number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're ready now, let's go to the phones. We'll begin with David in Canada, in London, Ontario, listening to us on YouTube today. David, what's on your mind today? Hi there. Thank you for taking my question, Father. I'm a big, I'm a big fan. Many Catholics say there are errors from Vatican II. It has always been my impression that Vatican II is perfect, just like the Council of Trent was. Is that true? And the second part question would be, if a Catholic dies saying there are errors in Vatican II, can they still be saved? Thank you. Okay. Great question. So Vatican II was a validly convened council, uh, the second ecumenical council uh, ever held at the Vatican in the 2,000-year history of the Church since its name, uh, hence its name. It put out 16 documents. It put out the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, the Decree on Instruments of Social Communication, which has proven to be a very prophetic document, given all the media platforms we have today. Yes. It gave us the Dogmatic Constitution on the Church, Lumen Gentium, one of my favorites. It gave us the Decree on Ecumenism. It gave us the Decree on the Eastern Catholic Churches, the 23 Eastern Rites. It gave us the Decree on the Bishop's uh, Pastoral Office in the Church. It gave us the Decree on Priestly Formation. It gave us the Decree on, on the Appropriate Renewal of Religious Life, Perfecte Caritatis, another one of my favorites as a consecrated religious with the Fathers of Mercy. It gave us the Declaration on the Relationship of the Church to Non-Christian Religions. It gave us the Declaration on Christian Education. It gave us the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation, on sacred scripture, another one of my favorites, on the Bible, Dei Verbum. It gave us the decree on the apostolate of the laity, another one of my favorites, Tom. I, yeah. All these favorite documents of mine from <laughs> Vatican II. Gave us the declaration on religious freedom. It gave us the decree on the ministry and life of priests and the decree on the church's missionary activity in the world and also the pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world Gaudi uh, Metspes. Uh, mm. And so we rejoice in these 16 documents of Vatican II that truly has ushered in the church in a very solid way uh, into, as John the 23rd now saint and Paul the 6th now saint said, to bring her into the modern world with her sound truths. Okay? 
I want to say this. We had a, a sacramental theology professor in seminary years ago, Tom, who would tell us that this 50-plus-year confusion after Vatican II, uh-huh. which is seemingly, seemingly liberal and progressive, Vatican II is not the cause of that, but it is the occasion of that confusion. Vatican II is not the cause of the confusion, but it is the occasion of the confusion. Why? Because the liberal progressives within the church took the Vatican II ball and ran in the wrong direction. In the 2,000 years of the church, some of the church's biggest enemies have come from within. How about that? Mm, Yeah, absolutely. David, thanks so much for your call. In a moment, Rose in Omaha, Jose in El Paso, Jeff in Chicago, Greg in Georgia. There's one line open for you at 833-288-EWTN. Keep it right here on Open Line Tuesday. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hey, there's one line open for you if you have a question for Father Wade this afternoon, 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Wonderful book now available from EWTN's religious catalog, 30 Eucharistic Visits, Marian Eucharistic Visits, Adoring Jesus with His Mother by Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle. Great book, each Marian Eucharistic visit presented in these pages, similar in format to Lectio Divina. This guides you through four parts, uh, ponder, reflect, pray, and savor. And you'll also be inspired by moving stories of saints. You'll learn how to apply them to your daily faith journey. Do check out this great book. It's available right now at EWTNRC.com. Again, the title of the book, 30 Marian Eucharistic Visits, Adoring Jesus with His Mother by Donna Marie Cooper O'Boyle. Check it out now at EWTNRC.com. Buy Catholic, shop Catholic. All right, back to the phones right now. We're going to lead off with uh, Greg, a first-time call in Georgia, listening on a great, great station, The Quest. Hello, Greg. What's on your mind today, sir? Hi, Father. I just wanted to share two things I learned about uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe this morning at Mass. One of them is that the stars on her mantle are the exact replication of how the stars, the rep, uh, the constellations of the replica of that date over Mexico City in 1531, December 9th. That that's yes, I have, how the stars I have heard that. were aligned. Yes, I've heard that. The it's place where crazy. the stars... Yes, I've heard that before. That is quite phenomenal. I have not had a chance to research that myself, but Dr. Uh, Warren Carroll uh, brings it out in his book um, uh, on Guadalupe, and it's quite fascinating. That's the only thing that I've read about it. Ah. Dr. Warren Carroll, who was one of the founders of Christendom College, mm. that yes, they, they were in, in alignment in same formation as apparently that constellation's evening. Wow. The, 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 that evening's constellation. That's a great thing. And what yeah. was the second point it's, there, it's Greg? very wild. The other thing was that, and I think you might have said this or someone earlier this morning on the radio in EWTN, and that was that uh, the Blessed Virgin's iris um, if they've looked now at modern yeah. technology, that there are 13 figures in there, uh, presumably the um, uh, when Juan Diego opened his uh, tilma, that those are the people in the room, including like a bearded man that would be the bishop, yeah. and so forth. And so it's like, even, even today, she's revealing more mysteries about that visitation. Mm. Yeah, and modern-day scientists cannot tell what the colors are from. They're not plant-based. They're not synthetic-based. They're, they're, they're truly miraculous. And, and the way they appear on the woven natural material of the tilma is almost like they were 
photographed on yeah. with a very bright light, like a flash. So that's, phenomen- that's a, a real phenomenon, too, about it. Uh, and yes, I've heard that about the iris showing very, very much magnified. I forget how many times. Again, Dr. Warren Carroll brings this out in his book. Any- <coughs> anybody interested in that, look up his book on Guadalupe. Dr. Warren Carroll, the founder of Christendom College, uh, has, has uh, that point brought out, too, about the iris showing other people standing in the room. The iris in, in the eye of the face of the Blessed Virgin Mary on the tilma. That's, that is quite fascinating. Mm, fascinating indeed. Greg, thanks so much for your call. call and it's uh, Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes here on EWTN. Let's go to Omaha now and talk with Rose, listening on the Great Spirit Catholic Radio. Hello, Rose. Blessed Advent to you. What's on your mind today? Well, I'm going to um, ask Father Wade to comment on a tradition that we had when I was growing up. Um, both of my parents were immigrants from the country of Italy, and I think this also kind of ranges towards a lot of other countries that border the Mediterranean Sea. But on Christmas Eve, uh, we had a seven-course meal, but it was only fish, you know, fish prepared in different ways. So sure. I'm going to um, hang up and listen to Father describe why he thinks that tradition began. Okay. Well, great, great uh, question, Rose. Thank you so much. You, you bear the name of the third week of Advent, Gaudete Sunday, and you also bear uh, the name of the uh, fourth Sunday of Lent, Laetare Sunday. Both mean rejoice, and we wear rose that day as a liturgical color. So thank you, Rose, for your question. Before I answer Rose's question, Tom, I just want to say Dr. Warren Carroll's book is titled Our Lady of Guadalupe ah. and the Conquest of Darkness. Okay, okay. Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness. So, so it talks about the miraculous image, the tilma, and it's really worth taking a look at. Um, Rose... Uh, you're Italian, it sounds like. So before I answer what I know about the Feast of the Seven Fishes, as you've asked the question, any Italian-Americans out there listening right now, I want you to call in and give more information than I can about this Feast of the Seven Fishes. The Feast of the Seven Fishes, Rose, is, is like you said, an Italian-American tradition to bring in Christmas Eve when Roman Catholics celebrate the midnight birth of Jesus, known in Italian as La Vigilia, uh, the Vigil. The vigil, right? Mm. Fish is a traditional ingredient in the Christmas Eve dinner because custom calls for the eschewing of red meat leading up to the holiday. In other words, a red meat was seen as more, more sumptuous, more expensive. And so because we're still in Advent, technically, leading up to Midnight Mass, we're still in Advent, and it's, it's a more sober, awakening, kind of penitential season like Lent, as I said in my opening springboard. Uh, fish was resorted to as more of a cheaper meal, but notice it was done with great opulence in that there were seven options uh, of main courses. All fish, not just fish, but also shrimp and shellfish, and, and could be oysters, it could be clams. Um, so this, is, this sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to complain about it. Bring it especially on. If those, especially if those oysters or clams are marinating <laughs> in, in a white wine and garlic sauce, right? So, uh, so there you have it, uh, Rose. It, it leads up to the great celebration of Midnight Mass when uh, Advent is officially over because we've now entered the quote-unquote Christmas season, mm-hmm. the first moment of which is the Midnight Mass, now called Mass at Night. You can now have the so-called Midnight Mass of yesteryear celebrated a few hours earlier to accommodate more of the faithful. Uh, and then we also have the Vigil Mass prior to that. So we have the Vigil Mass of Christmas, the Mass at Night, 
which can be at midnight as well. Then you have the Mass at dawn and that Mass during the day. So those beautiful Masses. But again, the Feast of the Seven Fishes, an Italian-American tradition to bring in the Christmas uh, uh, season. Uh, when Roman Catholics celebrate the midnight birth of Christ, known as La Vigilia, the Vigil, uh, fish is a traditional ingredient in the Christmas Eve dinner because custom calls for the doing away with or the eschewing, if you will, of red meat, which is more expensive, more opulent. Uh, but, but the Italians, even though they had more of the poorer uh, uh, meat of the fish, they made it quite succulent and opulent in celebration, knowing that Christmas was right around the corner. Now, if there's any Italian-American listening this hour who wants to add to that, what I've said, please give us a call. Tell us how you celebrate uh, Advent leaning, leading up to Christmas. That, this is a great Advent tradition with our Italian-American brothers and sisters. And, and at the beginning of the hour with the springboard, I called uh, about traditions of what we celebrate during Advent as a season, according to individual or culture or nationality. So, Rose, you've brought up a great one, a fantastic one. The Italian-Americans who brought with them to America from Italy, and they practiced it in Italy, of course, the great feast of the seven fish. Thank you so much, Rose, for bringing that to our attention. You know, Father, we are supposed to be generous people. We're not supposed to be shellfish. Yeah, there you go. Nah, I couldn't resist. Go. But uh, I love shellfish. Uh, I'm Portuguese. You know, the Portuguese are big on seafood, too, and I'm full-blooded Portuguese. My mother was a Souza. My, my father, Menezes, of course. And uh, we love shellfish. And oh, I remember yeah. my dad uh, baking oysters, the, the, mm. the big oysters. They're Whoa. like three to four inches long yeah. in their shells, putting them in butter and garlic. Good wow. stuff. Absolutely. Jose listening in uh, El Paso on Sirius XM Channel 130. Hey there, Jose. Blessed Advent to you. What's on your mind today, sir? Uh, well, I have a, a question on the, uh, is there in the Jewish festival of lights or the Jewish festival of uh, dedication? Yeah, there was a little Great. cut out there, Jose, uh, to, to repeat. Is there a connection, Father, between Hanukkah and uh, Advent? Well, that's great. Is, is there, is there a, a, a link between the Jewish festival uh, and celebration of Hanukkah and Advent for Christians? And insofar as both underscore the virtue of patience, which is a, a, an extremely important virtue to live a virtuous life, uh, there isn't really too much of a connection because it's two completely separate different faiths. In uh -huh. Christian tradition, Jose, Advent marks the weeks of ritual waiting and preparation and a, and a certain sobriety and alertness for the expected birth of the Messiah at Christmas and his second coming at the end of time, while Hanukkah in the Jewish tradition uh, commemorates the patience of the Maccabees in waiting for supplies to arrive uh, to light the temple in Jerusalem, a patience that was rewarded tradition holds with a miraculous eight nights of light when uh, there wasn't enough oil for eight nights, but rather only for one. And so their faith bore true in, in making that miraculous amount of oil for one night last for eight. So again, uh, patience and prayer, we can say, uh, links the two together of our bro mm -hmm. Jewish brothers and sisters with uh, us Christians. Great question, Jose. Thank you so much. Appreciate your call there from El Paso, and congratulations going out to a longtime member of the EWTN radio family, the great Modern Day Radio in Portland and other great cities in Oregon, celebrating an amazing 34 years of Catholic radio and 27 of those years with EWTN. So congratulations to Patrick Ryan. Everybody, what a great team there at Modern Day Radio from all your friends here at EWTN Radio. Going now to Kathy in uh, Pennsylvania, listening on Sirius XM, Channel 130. Kathy, blessed Advent to you. What's on your mind today? 
Yes, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, Father Wade, um, I just wanted to say real quick, I, I love watching you when you have the homily on EWTN. It's always very, I always get a lot out of it. Um, well, thank you, Ka- so thank you, Kathy. I, I, Kathy, thank you very much. Thanks. Lest I forget, I will be filling in for the Friars this coming January 8th through the 13th oh. for the daily televised okay. Mass while they are on their annual retreat at the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament where Mother Angelica's nuns are. They'll be staying at the priest retreat house there those days, and I'll be filling in for them. So thank you so much. It's all God's work, and I mean that sincerely, but I thank you very much for your comment. Thank you. Um, my question, Father Wade, um, I unfortunately lost my 22-year-old son um, on October 2nd, 2021. He mm. uh, had cancer and was in remission, but unfortunately they, he had to have strong chemotherapy, and it just played havoc on his heart. And one day while he was at college, he just went into cardiac arrest and, and didn't make it. And I'm a nurse, so, you know, it's just really, really hard. And my question is, am I truly getting signs from him? I mean, I guess I want to think that I am. But, you know, they say that you're asleep in peace. Um, So can he be giving me signs? Like if a song comes on the radio or, you know, something in his room is moved, an object or something, um, I don't know if that makes sense, what I'm trying to ask you. Yeah, sure. We're not supposed to put full faith and credit in signs like that. Our faith, our Catholic faith is not one of signs. Our, one, our faith is one of devotion and of divine revelation uh, and the devotion that exists in our daily lives through that devotion. So, for example, um, the importance of offering suffrages for your son. Uh, you know, during this Advent leading up to Christmas, go see the parish secretary and tell her that you would like a triduum, meaning three, a triduum of masses celebrated for the blessed repose of your son's soul. That's what we do. We mm. put our, our full faith and credit in things like that. huh? Go, go put flowers at his grave during the beautiful season of Advent that are maybe violet in co- color. Um, a beautiful thing to do. Um, these, these are what we get, give to a charity in his name and honor and memory of. And if those types of signs come, one of his favorite songs on the radio or one of your favorite songs on the radio that reminds you of him, so be it. But don't put your faith and credit in those types of things. Put them in the, in the reality of the communion of saints, the, the, the members of the church militant still living on earth, those of us still living, uh, united with the church triumphant in heaven, and united as well with the members of the church suffering in purgatory, the purgative souls, also referred to as the members of the church penitent. We forget that the pur- souls in purgatory are called purgative souls. We forget that they're called members of the church penitent. We do remember well enough that they're members of the church suffering. And there's real communio going on, huh? Us to them, them for us, us to them, them for us. This three-tiered hierarchy having a real communion each tier with the other two tiers. And that's a, that's a very important doctrine that we call the doctrine of the communion of saints. So whether your son is a member of the church triumphant, already in heaven, his soul already in heaven, uh, awaiting the glorious reunion with his body at the end of time, or whether your son is a member of the church suffering or the church penitent in purgatory and still needing prayers for that purgative state that he's in, we leave that to God. The fact is we want to have a full faith and credit and a strong devotion as members of the church militant with the church triumphant in heaven, asking them to pray for us, and with the church purgative in purgatory, the church suffering and the church 
uh, penitent, that we pray for them and knowing that because we are praying for them, they are praying for us. I love, uh, Kathy, number 985 of the Catechism, I believe it is, it says, uh, regarding the, the prayers of the church militant, those of us still living on earth for the church suffering in purgatory, it says, quote, uh, our prayers for them are capable not only of helping them, but also of making their intercessory power for us more effective. How beautiful is that? So they have an effective intercessory power for us, provided we are praying for them. And we express that not only during the month of November, but beyond the month of November. Their death day, we should remember them. Their birthday, we, we should remember them. Their baptismal day, we should remember them. You could probably research, or you probably have it somewhere in his baptismal certificate that you probably have, or his wife might have if he was married. What was his actual baptismal date? Remember him on that day with the rosary and divine mercy chaplet. Remember him on his birthday, his death day, huh? Remember him during the month of the holy souls in purgatory. Remember him during the big liturgical seasons of Advent and Lent where you can go visit his grave with violet flowers, real flowers if you can, as opposed to fake flowers. They might last a little less than the fake flowers, but you were giving him a, a real, real offering of fresh flowers. How beautiful is that? Uh, so these are the type of things I want to gear my listeners to, Kathy, as strong, solid, solid Catholic Christians who live eternity-mindedly, like my book, The Four Last Things, says. What a great question about your son. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Kathy, thank you so much for your call. Tomorrow at this time, it's Open Line Wednesday with Father Mitch Paqua. Tomorrow, Father's going to be answering some very important questions. Why did Jesus tell people to be quiet about his miracles? And are the dead judged according to their works? And so much more. That's Open Line Wednesday tomorrow with Father Mitch right here on EWTN Radio. Back to the phones now for Elsa, a first-time caller from Washington, D.C., listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Elsa, uh, blessed Ed vent to you. What's on your mind? Father, uh, I'm Father Joe. I'm so happy to be here. I wanted to celebrate Our Lady of Guadalupe with my family story. My grandfather died on December 12, 1970. He went to Mass at the Cathedral of Santa Fe at 6 a.m. He came home, sat in his chair, and died. Wow. My mother, who took care of him, was so sad, and the priest of Franciscans came, and she said, we were going to go to Mexico City. We were going to go see Our Lady of Guadalupe. And the priest said, don't worry, Our Lady of Guadalupe came for him. Hmm. And I, I told Father Chavez that story in Mexico City in 2019. He was a postulator for St. Juan Diego. And I told hmm. him that story, and he said, no, it wasn't just Our Lady of Guadalupe. She was carrying Jesus. So Our Lady Guadalupe and Jesus came for your grandfather. And I just, I love thinking of that. I love Our Lady Guadalupe, and that's what I wanted to tell you. Well, great, Elsa. Thank you so much for your call from Washington, D.C. You know, just last night, I reminded my listeners at the opening night of the parish mission here at St. Thomas Aquinas Parish in, in Newport Ritchie, Florida, where I'm at this week preaching the four-night mission, I reminded them last night the, the wedding feast of Cana when Our Lady turns to all the wine stewards. We are told very specifically in Scripture, she turned towards not just the, the chief wine steward, but she turned to all of them mm. and said, do whatever he tells you. Why, why was the author of John, why was St. John the Evangelist, the author of, of St. John's Gospel, so particular about that? Because she is the mother of us all. So she turns to all the wine stewards, not just the, the chief wine steward, and says, 
Do whatever he tells you. This is her goal. This was her goal with the eight million, six million to eight million Aztecs that were converted to the one true God, uh, no longer offering human sacrifice and being converted from that evil practice of even babies, right? I should say something about us today with abortion. Uh, this is the mother who calls us all to her divine son. And this is something that cannot be lost sight of. And Elsa, your, your call about this gentleman shows that. She came for him, just like that priest said, because she wants to lead all of us to her son. What a great witness call. Thank you so much. Thank you. And let's go to Michelle in Jacksonville, Florida. Michelle, what's on your mind today? Hello. Hi. 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 Is it my turn for my question? Yes. Go right ahead. Great. Great. Thank you. I was listening to the radio this morning and They were talking about a book recently all about the life of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I couldn't catch the name of it. So I wanted to know what you would recommend, um, if you're aware of what they were discussing, and what would be the best book to really learn all about Our Lady of Guadalupe, her promises, and and the significance of her, her appearance. All right. Great, great question. Now, I'm not sure what you would have heard earlier in the day, because you said this morning, so I'm not sure what book you heard. I would like to recommend Dr. Warren H. Carroll's Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness. Not only does he go into the history of everything about the apparition and the Aztec culture, but he also goes into detail about the tilma itself and its miraculous qualities like the coloring of it, the iris of it, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're getting a, a good overview, not only of the apparition itself and the messages that Our Lady gave during those three apparitions to Juan Diego, and the fact that his uh, uncle was cured as well of, of his illness, uh, but you also get a good treatment of the tilma itself. So that's what I would recommend to you. Our Lady of Guadalupe from, 19, from 2004, excuse me, uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe and the Conquest of Darkness by Dr. Warren H. Carroll. All right. And Michelle, thanks so much for your call. We're going to go to line one now and talk with uh, Adrian in San Jose, listening on YouTube. Adrian, what's on your mind? Hi, guys. How you doing? Could you hear me okay? Yeah, go right ahead. Sweet. Okay. So, um, so I live in San Jose, California, and there's a parish here, a really quite famous historical um, church called Our Lady of Guadalupe. And it's historical because of Cesar Chavez and so on and so forth. My main question is this, being the fact that it is the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, and that's the name of the parish, all the parishes tend to go there and celebrate there, and it's beautiful, it's great, I love it. But the problem that I have, or the question, the main question is this, during this time, um, they took down the big crucifix in front of the church and put it in the back, or, you know, in the beginning of the, of the aisle, I would say. Mm. And then put the picture of Our Lady in his place. Okay, uh, yeah, okay. Sure, go right ahead, Father. A great question, Adrian. Yeah, so uh, it sounds like in, in this parish church, I could be wrong, but it sounds like from what you've just described, the main sanctuary rear wall, the main wall of the sanctuary, has the large crucifix. And for the feast day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, they take it down and replace it with a large framed image of Our Lady of Guadalupe and move the crucifix, as you say, to the back of the church. While they are welcome to remove the crucifix to put the big portrait of Our Lady of Guadalupe up, there's no problem there. There still should be a crucifix in the sanctuary proper. Now, 
Keep in mind, just like the beautiful uh, shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City, what's the center focal point of the Riradoce wall there in the main sanctuary? It's the permanent image of the actual tilma framed behind glass, protective glass, uh, in a large gold frame. So there's nothing wrong with having that there. You can have a, a Marian parish church in the United States where the main image or scene, because the parish is under her patronage, is her depicted on the main Riradoce wall as the focal point. There's no problem with that. But there should always be an image of the crucifix, a third-dimensional image preferably, but mm-hmm. it, it could also be a framed image, in the sanctuary proper. So again, it's not an either-or, Jose, uh, Adrian, excuse me. Uh, uh, it's not, it's not, you're calling from San Jose. It's not an either-or, Adrian. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's a both-and yes. question. It's a, it's a both-and, and we want to be, remain very, very balanced. And because it is the actual patron of the parish today their parish, Our Lady Guadalupe, you know, they can pull out all the stops, as the old saying goes, uh, and, and really do it up big. There's nothing wrong with that. Our, our Blessed Mother has one goal, to lead us more closely to her son, and he's only honored more when we honor his mother. And like you said, you have nothing, nothing uh, you have no problem with the celebration of the feast itself. Your only concern is that the crucifix was moved out of the sanctuary, sure. and I would agree with that. I would agree with you on that. Adrian, thanks for your call. We have about 30 seconds to talk with Veronica in Council Bluffs. Veronica, what's on your mind? Hi. I just wanted to thank you for bringing up Mother St. Mary Euphrasia, um, of the religious of the Good Shepherd, because I honor her very, very much. Um, I uh, am so happy that there's somebody else out there who is aware of her writings, which were prolific oh, yeah. and filled with love. And she was a um, wise woman, a strong woman, especially for her day. Yes. Thank you, Veronica. Yeah, gr- great, great statement. I-, I love her. I love the pronunciation of her last name, Euphrasia. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. She says again about Advent, quote, I said this at the beginning of the hour, Tom, let us not allow this holy season of Advent to slip by without spiritual fruit. It is the time of salvation. Let us profit from it. Yeah. There you go, right there. Yep. Uh, Veronica, thank you so much for your call. Father Wade, could you leave us with your blessing, please? I certainly will, Tom. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always. St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of Father Wade, Michael McCall, our producer, and the great team we have here at EWTN, I'm Tom Price. We will see you next time uh, for Open Line and all the other great programming you hear 24 hours a day on EWTN. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Have a great day and God bless.